Well, in case you don't know, my name is Frank. I'm one of the pastors. I'm glad you're here. And we're in the series. Now, this is it. This is the final week. 35 weeks of studying the Holy Spirit, and here we are. And so if you missed it, just go back and listen to all of it. It'll take you 35 hours. But you will learn a lot. Uh, and I want to remind you of just sort of where we've been, because sometimes you get to the end of a series and you're like, oh, yeah, oh, I, oh, yeah, I remember that. Well, we started talking at the very beginning about Flashpoint. Uh, Flashpoint is a fire department lingo. It's, it's a moment when the temperature of the room, everything reaches a certain level, and then the whole room just explodes. It spontaneously bursts into flame, and it spreads the fire instantly, and we've been looking at applying that to our lives. Flashpoints are these moments when, for better or worse, you know that you just experienced something, and you'll never again be the same, that you'll never be able to look back to the way things were because they forever changed. An idea catches fire. A single event sparks a change that transforms your life forever. And we've been looking at spiritual flashpoints. The series has been planned for over two years. And honestly, it started with a confession that I shared with you. You see, I've realized at times I've tried to do God's work for him as if he needed me somehow to finish. If I didn't do my work, then it would never get done. I had this attitude, and I think churches today have the means and methods and programs to do church, but often in the end, it requires little help of the Holy Spirit. We, we don't fall on our faces and ask the Holy Spirit to fill these spaces. Churches in general depend on marketing and promotion and, and clever ideas to try to go viral on their website or Facebook because they think somehow they're going to fill these chairs. We've deceived ourselves thinking that buildings and bodies are evidence of spiritual life in a church. The series came out of a concern that it's dangerously possible for the church and for each one of us to go through our programs, routines, and activities, and to get to the end of our lives and realize the Spirit of God has been almost entirely absent and neglected in the process. It's so easy for us to go into task mode, try to do the work of God apart from the power of God. I believe that the gospel is not fully advanced today because the Holy Spirit is essentially absent from many churches. Jesus' last instructions to the disciples, don't go until you receive my power on high. You'll never be an effective witness on your own. You have to have my power. You see, because they're not looking at you. They're looking to see me through you. Amen. Don't go until you receive power from on high. Don't you dare try to do my work through your power. That's what he told the disciples, and that's what he tells us. I'm sending you on a God-sized mission. I'm sending you into a world that's going to reject the message. It's going to require God-sized power. You're not going to be able to do it. Without him, without God, you can do nothing, he says. It's exactly what happens every week in and out of churches and Christ followers all across America. This series has been about the Holy Spirit. We've been exploring together the power and presence of God in our lives, asking ourselves some very critical questions. As the church... 
As the people of God, we are dependent upon ourselves or we're desperate for the Holy Spirit of God. Satan is hilarious. All right. Okay. Okay, I hate to ask this, but it's coming from that one, right? Deaf in one ear, can't tell. All right. All right, so we've experienced the flashpoint of the Holy Spirit in our lives. That's the question we've been asking. Are we desperate for that moment? Are we afraid of going forward in our walk with Christ if the Holy Spirit's not with us and ahead of us? Are we like those in the upper room begging for the power of God to fall on us because the mission's too big for us? Do we understand to our core that we are wholly ineffective unless the Spirit of God is the most important thing in our lives? Have we positioned ourselves to receive everything the Spirit wants to give us? Do we trust Him to lead? Do we really trust Him? I know you're nodding your head, but the question is, when you walk out of this room, do you trust Him or you to lead? Or or have we boxed Him out? And we said, look, I'm going to do what I want to do. I'll bring just enough of the Holy Spirit to spiritualize it. Don't get me out of my comfort zone. Don't make me go do something I'm not supposed to do or that I don't want to do. You, you just, here's what you can allow. We started this series with some promises. We study the scriptures together. We'll understand what God's word teaches about the Holy Spirit. Together, we'll learn how to position ourselves to receive everything the Holy Spirit wants to give us personally and as a church. We won't be afraid of the greatest gift God has ever given us. We will, through the study of God's word, develop a desperation for more to remain open to whatever God wants to do. But we will not try to conjure up. We will not try to control or manipulate others into an experience that's not from God because the experience is not the important thing. It's the encounter with the spirit that matters. We've learned together that Jesus knew that the disciples would grieve when he left, so he sent a comforter, the Holy Spirit. He said it'd be better for them to have the Holy Spirit in them than for him to stay on earth. He told them to wait till they receive power. He says, I'm going to bring the world to me by living through you. If they don't see Jesus in you, they're not going to see Jesus. He says, I don't need your help. I need your surrender. We learn that to surrender, we have to see the Holy Spirit as the person that he is. Not some esoteric spiritual force, but literally a person, the person of the Holy Spirit. And the reason that's important is we can't have a relationship with a force. We have a relationship with the Spirit, with, with, with a person of the Spirit. He has emotions and expectations. He's not some pet rock that we pretend to have a relationship with. He's a very real person who guides us and leads us and shares life with us. No matter how much you know about the Bible, no matter how much you discipline yourself, no matter how hard you try to serve and please God, if you don't have a relationship that's very personal with the Holy Spirit, your walk with Christ will stagnate. You'll miss out on an incredible journey that God has planned for you. You'll wander in what feels like spiritual wilderness. 
knowing you're supposed to be experiencing something much deeper. You see, that's the challenge of a flashpoint. You, you know there's something deeper God wants to take you to, but you haven't surrendered enough to get there. We learn that a relationship with the Holy Spirit comes only after you repent. Literally turn around and follow Jesus. We studied the flashpoint of the Holy Spirit as at Pentecost it fell in what recorded in Acts chapter 2. And they asked the best questions in the Bible. What does this mean and what must we do? The Spirit of God has fallen. What must we do? What does that mean? And then Peter, my favorite, says, repent, be baptized, and receive the Holy Spirit. Yet some never truly repent. They skip over the brokenness of realizing their sin is separated from God. They, they step over the idea that their sin has hurt people and hurt God. And that they have to repent, they have to develop a genuine sorrow, a brokenness, a repentance, a shame for what we've done, who we've become, and how we've stiff-armed God. And only from that heart can we then embrace the Spirit. That's what makes us desperate for the Holy Spirit. Look at what I've done without Him. God, please, don't let me keep doing this. We've also learned that we don't have to repent, but, or don't, not only must repent, but we also have to desire consecration. We have to pursue holiness. It needs to be in our heart of hearts that we want to be a holy people, a people that are walking and moving towards God, not perfect, but seeking holiness. We're messed up people, but we're being transformed into holiness. We, our desire is to be just like Jesus. We don't come just wanting forgiveness of our sins. We actually, at our core, want to stop being a person who sins. You see, we're not asking God to bless what we've done. We're asking God to please change us to somebody who doesn't do that anymore. We're desperate for God to give us the power to be transformed. Many skip repentance and they just say a prayer and everybody says, oh, you're saved. And they can fake Christian lives. They can completely miss the Holy Spirit. You see, churches can do church without the Holy Spirit. It's easy. Easier, actually. Because when you don't have to follow the Holy Spirit, you have no real desire to pursue holiness. You can live the life that you want to live and never change. And you can come to church and pat each other on the back. Because holiness is not your goal. Comfort is your goal. Remaining your own God is your goal. But if you come from a place of brokenness, if you truly repent and turn from your path to follow Jesus, and you desperately want to be like Jesus, you desperately want to pursue His holiness, then you become desperate for a relationship with the Holy Spirit because a God-sized transformation requires a God-sized power that you don't have. We studied that amazing day at Pentecost, that flashpoint where the Holy Spirit descended, the Shekinah glory, the, the, the essence of God fell in that room. And those who received him were never again the same. We learned about the link between the Tower of Babel and that moment at Pentecost. We learned about the baptism of water and baptism of the Holy Spirit. We learned about praying in the Spirit, hopefully bringing clarity to these confusing and potentially divisive topics. We began exploring the spiritual gifts in 1 Corinthians 12, the declarative gifts like prophecy in tongues and the interpretation of tongues. 
We looked at the discerning gifts, the word of knowledge, the word of wisdom, the discerning of the spirits. We talked about the dynamic gifts, the healings, the miracles, generosity. But we learned that the greatest gift of all is love. In fact, without love, the rest don't even matter. So we talked about what it means to love other people, to love the people that others have overlooked. We explored the use of the gifts in the public worship service, the importance of not alienating those who are trying to find Jesus, at the same time not shutting down what the Holy Spirit has planned for our services. We've been on a remarkable journey. Remember, we studied every fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, self-control, forbearance. And we learned that those fruits grow out of us as we mature, that the fruit of the Spirit is just the manifestation that the Spirit's living in us. As we get more and more mature, which translated means we learned how to surrender more, the evidence of God in our lives becomes more evident. It's not that we're choosing to be better uh, at love and peace and patience. It just happens within us. In fact, often we look around and go, where'd that come from? And we learn that spiritual fruit is evidence of a maturing believer. Spiritual gifts, on the other hand, can be given to any believer at any time. The most immature believer may have the most powerful spiritual gift at a moment. But we have one more step to take. One more step to get ready to receive. I think we can learn it by looking at Joshua. We're going to be in Joshua 3. Let me remind you of the story. Moses is leading the Israelites out of their bondage in Egypt. Their freedom from bondage required they cross the Red Sea. The Egyptians are pursuing them. God split the sea. They walked to the wilderness of the promised land. God led them fire by day, cloud by night. Along the way, God was teaching them and preparing them and showing them who he is. They saw the miracle of God every day when manna fell from heaven. They saw the cloud. They knew God was with them. They were following him. On the day of Passover, the first Passover, he, he provided the lamb that, that was sacrificed to bring them into a new relationship with him. Another day of Passover, a few years later, he gave them the Ten Commandments, the law of God from Mount Sinai. We talked about that. They went through a wilderness experience to prepare them to cross the Jordan, to prepare them to enter the promised land where they would be his people and he would be their God and they wouldn't be under the, the slavery, they wouldn't be under the bondage anymore. The first time they got to the edge of the Jordan, they sent spies into the promised land. And rather than trusting God, they retracted in fear. They didn't have faith in God to cross the Jordan, even though God had promised it to them. Even though they'd seen the miracles, they watched him every day. They had a relationship with God. They remembered and celebrated the Passover. They received the law. They built the tent of meeting. God's presence was in a cloud. If that wasn't enough, the Ark of the Covenant was going ahead of them. God miraculously led them through the desert. The promised land is right there for them. Right there. All they have to do is follow him. But they lacked the faith. They began trusting themselves. They didn't surrender to God's plan. They made their own. And it angered God. And their lack of faith cost them the promised land. They were still God's people. 
but they missed out on all that God had for them. They never experienced what God had planned in their lives. You see, without faith, we're all destined to walk in the wilderness. We're destined to die in the wilderness. And with the exception of a few who had faith on that day, Joshua and Caleb, the entire generation, including Moses, never got to experience the land God had promised them, the life that he'd promised them, the land flowing with milk and honey, the, the perfect. They never got it because they didn't have the faith to go there. God had such a deeper, richer, more ex incredible experience in life, and they totally missed it because they lacked faith. They lived their lives having seen the promised land, but never having enough faith to actually experience it. After wandering for 40 years, Joshua finds himself back at the river, once again standing on the great promise, knowing they have to take a step of faith. You see, I understand that fear. I've been following Jesus for quite a while, but there are times when my walk feels like I'm wandering in the wilderness. I know I'm following Jesus, just like they followed the cloud, the fire by night, the Ark of the Covenant. But I've become aware that he's been calling me to a deeper experience. And for a large part of my life, I lacked the faith to go. I wanted to stay in my comfort zone. I know the Holy Spirit wants me to develop deeper intimacy. I know that there's a deeper way of living my life. I know that every day I have to surrender more in order to receive more. But I stand on the edge, seeing the relationship I want, and yet fearful to take the step of faith that gets me there. What if I open myself up to whatever the Holy Spirit wants to do? What if he makes me look foolish? What if I become charismatic? What if I'm not in control anymore and the gifts he gives me, he wants to use through me, but I'm not comfortable going there? And like the first generation of Israelites, I have to decide if I want to keep wandering in the wilderness or surrender my fear, my control, my pride, and allow him to lead me to a promised land that only he can take me to. I feel like our relationship with God is on the edge of an explosion as a church. And many of you have shared similar emotions with me. It's like we've been wandering, but we, we can see the promised land now a deeper spiritual relationship with the Holy Spirit, a full expression of everything he wants to give us for the purpose of building us up so we can reach other people for Christ. Remember, the gifts are never given to you for you. They're given to advance the gospel. You don't own them. You don't replicate them. You can't have power of them. You can't make it happen. God does it through you. As soon as you try to grab it, hold it, take credit for it, it goes away. Now, I know God's been calling all of us to surrender more. Surrender the control we've never actually had. Surrender our opinion of what the Holy Spirit can and can't do. Surrender our idea of what the perfect church ought to be. It's like we finally reached the edge of the Jordan River and God's calling us to a deeper pursuit of holiness. He's leading us to a place where we can see the promised land, if you will a deep, intimate, personal relationship with the Holy Spirit, God's calling us to trust him, to leave behind our past and go all in, 
No turning back. It's like we're at the bank of the Jordan. And how we decide we're going to live is a flashpoint for us. You see, we tend to live our lives present past. We live in the present, but often what shapes us, limits us, controls us is our past. In our flesh, apart from God, we're constantly reminded and almost always pulled backwards from past experiences. The anchor, if you will, of our past holds us from going into the future. We live in the present, but we're repetitively pulled back by the guilt and shame and mistakes of our past. Our past becomes a wilderness experience. We seem to want what God promises, but we can't seem to trust him enough to release our clenched fist and leave our past behind. That's what was facing the Israelites. They stand on the edge of the Jordan. They're tired of wandering in the desert because of their lack of faith. Once they cross the Jordan, they leave the wilderness behind forever. God is leading them to a new place, a promised place. God doesn't want us to live present past. God wants those who trust him to live present future. To have the anchor of what pulls us to be where we're going, not where we've been. Let me repeat that. To have the anchor of our lives pulling us to where the Spirit wants us to go, not where we've been. We live present future. We cut ties to our past. We're drawn by what's ahead of us. We see the promise ahead of us. We can't help but go there. The anchor of the promised future pulls us and draws us into the future. For the Israelites and for us, the flashpoint moment occurs when we finally leave the bondage of our past where it belongs, in the wilderness. And we take a step of faith, trusting that God will take care of the promises of our future. Herman Cortez was an explorer, Hernan Cortez. Spanish explorer, he reached the Yucatan Peninsula in 1519. He was sent there to conquer the Aztecs and set up a Spanish colony. Once they landed, the men and the supplies were unloaded, and he destroyed the ships. He wanted his men to know there's no turning back. You can only go forward. The, the vessel that got you here, what you put your trust in out on the seas, it's no longer available to you. You can't turn around and go the other way. He wanted them to know there's no turning back. You're going to live present future because you have to. They had no choice. See, it takes a lot of faith to live present future. You have to burn the ships of your past. You have to let your future pull you forward. That's exactly where Joshua found himself in Joshua chapter 3. Then Joshua said to the people, now let's back up. Joshua 3, verse 1. And they came to the Jordan, he and all the people of Israel. Think about that. Just in your mind, just picture that. And lodged there before they passed over. At the end of three days, the officers went through the camp and commanded the people, as soon as you see the ark of the covenant of the Lord your God being carried by the Levitical priests, then you shall set out from your place and follow it. Yet there shall be a distance between you and it of 2,000 cubits in length. A cubit is from your... About that far. Don't come near it. 
in order that you may know the way you shall go, for you have not passed this way before. In other words, God's leading, you're following, don't try to do it on your own. They've been wandering in the wilderness their whole lives. This generation, all they knew was the wilderness. Those who'd been in Egypt had died. And they knew their parents died in the wilderness because they lacked faith, and now it's their turn. They'd heard stories of the promised land. Moses had begged God to let him go. Let me cross over into the promised land. But because the people lack faith, it would be Joshua that would take people to the promised land. Now they're standing at a flashpoint moment of faith. Egyptian bondage, slavery, wandering, wilderness, manna, dry desert heat, the sins of their fathers, the generation that lacked faith to cross over. All these emotions of their past is all they ever knew. And now it was their moment of faith. Would they have enough faith to allow God to lead them across the river to the promised future? Would they be willing to live present future? The faith step required would burn the ships of their past. God's been leading them to this moment every day of their lives. There would be a day he knew when they were ready to pass over the Jordan if they had faith. And he would booster their faith by putting the Ark of the Covenant ahead of them. The ark that represented the presence, nature, and purpose of the Lord. Then Joshua said to the people, Consecrate yourselves, for tomorrow the Lord will do wonders among you. I love that verse. Present, future, tomorrow. Tomorrow is the day. Tomorrow is the day you've waited for your whole life. The day when you leave behind your past, when you leave behind the wilderness, when you leave behind the bondage, when you let go of the anchor that's been pulling you backwards and you notice you don't have to do anything. It doesn't say tomorrow do this. It says consecrate yourself today for tomorrow the Lord's going to do incredible things. Tomorrow the Lord's going to do wonders among you. That's true every day of our lives if we're willing to see it. Joshua says, today, you need to consecrate yourself. You have to prepare yourself that you're ready to receive. You have to receive everything that God wants to give you. You better prepare for that. Consecrate. It means to surrender. To moment, to moment experience. As you walk in the Spirit, consecration is worship. It's honoring God by pursuing only the things that, that please Him. Consecration is when you allow the Holy Spirit to define your reality. It's a new way of thinking. Paul says it this way. I appeal to you, brothers, by the mercies of God, present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. That by testing, you may discern the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. It means to separate yourself, to purposely distance yourself from anything that contaminates your relationship with the Holy Spirit. It means to pursue holiness no matter what. It means to have the guts to pray like the psalmist, examine me, O Lord, and try me, test my mind and my heart. God, you look at me, and if there's anything that displeases you, you show me and I'll get rid of it. God, expose everything there is about me. 
Clean up whatever you want to clean up. You see, you're in charge now. I'm not. To consecrate means to surrender. It's the presence of the Holy Spirit in our lives. It's leading us from darkness into light. It's the reason we're given the power of the Holy Spirit. We weren't given the power of the Holy Spirit to have a holy huddle here every Sunday. We're given the power of the Spirit to go tell the world what we know. All the gifts of the Spirit are to be used to build up the body of believers so they can authenticate the message of Jesus to a world that ignores him. Peter says it this way. But you're a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession. That means he owns you. That you may proclaim the excellences of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you're God's people. Once you'd not received mercy, but now you've received mercy. It should change your life. So standing at the edge of the Jordan with the promise of tomorrow on the horizon, the Israelites consecrated themselves. They left nothing behind, nothing that's holding them back. They burned the ships of their past. They burned the ships of doubt and sin and excuses and rationalizations. They unclenched their fists and they grabbed everything God had planned for them. So they'd be ready when God moves. And Joshua said to the people of Israel, come here and listen to the words of the Lord your God. And Joshua said, here's how you shall know that the living God is among you. Behold, the ark of the covenant of the Lord of all the earth is passing over before you into the Jordan. And when the soles of the feet of the priests bearing the ark of the Lord, the Lord of all the earth shall rest in the waters of the Jordan. The waters of the Jordan will be cut off from flowing and the waters come heaping down from above shall stand in one heap. Once again, God's going to split the water. Allow them to walk through. He led them out of bondage of Egypt by splitting the Red Sea. Now he's got them to the promised land. He's going to split the Jordan. But notice that nothing happens here unless they actually step into the water. If their step had been the other direction, they'd have wandered their generation too. It wasn't until they stepped into the water that everything changed. It wasn't until they took that step of faith and trusted God to do what God had promised he would do. So when the people set out from their tents to pass over the Jordan with the priests bearing the Ark of the Covenant before the people, and soon as those bearing the Ark had come as far as the Jordan and the feet of the priests bearing the Ark were dipped in the brink of water, the waters coming down from above stood and rose up in a heap, and those flowing down towards the Sea of Arabah, the Salt Sea, were completely cut off. And the people passed over opposite Jericho. Now the priests bearing the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord stood firmly on dry ground in the midst of the Jordan. And all Israel was passing over on dry ground until all the nation finished passing over the Jordan. Imagine that. Don't... When you read scriptures, picture it. Imagine what it's like. Thousands of people crossing the Jordan. You're at the back of the line. You may walk all day long to get to the river. You have to think about it all the way there. Am I going to go? Am I going to Mom, we going? Dad, we're going? We're, we're going? You build excitement as you get closer and closer. You're about to take a step of faith. And then when you step in the water, you walk past the Ark of the Covenant. Imagine what that was like. Many of them had never been close to the Ark. They'd never seen it that close before. Now they're walking right past it. 
And while they're doing it, the water's stacked up. It's not some mythical story. It's a moment in history. It's incredible. You want to guess what happens next? Is this what I love about God? He's such a God of details. We talk about the covenants of God. We talk about the celebrations of God, the feasts of God. God always does incredible things, it seems, during the major feasts. We read about them and we blow past them, but I don't want you to do that. The people came up out of the Jordan on the 10th day of the first month, and they encamped at Gilgal on the east border of Jericho. Now, every time I teach the Bible, I tell you, if it's in there, there's a reason. The 10th day of the first month. Hmm. The 10th day of the first month of the Jewish calendar. That's the day the Passover lamb is to be presented. That's the day in Egypt that they were supposed to put the blood of the lamb above the door. That's the day in the future when Jesus, the lamb of God, would enter the temple. God had delivered them from Egypt. God was now delivering them into the promised land. And one day on the same day, God would deliver the Messiah to the world. It's incredible. This would be the day years later when Jesus, the Lamb of God, would present himself for examination prior to his crucifixion. But on this day, it's the day when God delivered his people from the wilderness. And because of their step of faith, they enjoyed everything God had promised. While the people of Israel were encamped at Gilgal, they kept the Passover on the 14th day of the month, in the evening on the plains of Jericho. It's Passover. You see, I believe God wants us to experience everything that he has planned for us, and he sent us the Holy Spirit. And I believe that everything gets situated perfectly for a flashpoint, an encounter with him that is so real, so overpowering that you'll never again be the same. And every flashpoint requires a step of faith and a heart of surrender, leaving behind your past in the wilderness, burning whatever ship you have to, getting rid of whatever anchor has limited your future and take a step of faith, trusting the promises of God because he's good and he knows the plans he has for you and they're plans for good, not for disaster, to give you a future and a hope. He wants to take you and me to a deeper relationship, but so many of us are not willing to go. Now you may be hearing about Jesus for the first time. Maybe you've heard about him before, but today maybe for some reason you're listening. You're only one decision away from a totally different life. Of course, it'll probably be the toughest decision you ever make. But if you have the courage to completely surrender yourself and allow Jesus to take over your life, there's no telling what God can do. All bets are off because all the bets are on God. Maybe you've been following Jesus, but you realize your relationship is in the wilderness. You need a fresh encounter. You need a flashpoint with God. You too are one decision away. One moment of surrender from a completely different spiritual life with the Holy Spirit. No matter where you are, it begins with brokenness and surrender. We're going to take the next 10 minutes or so. We're going to be alone with the Holy Spirit. We're going to quiet ourselves. We're going to surrender ourselves. We may have some old ships to burn. Things in our lives that he's asking us to surrender, to quit putting our faith in and to finally let go and allow him to change us. You could spend your whole life in church 
and completely miss the Holy Spirit. All of us need a fresh flashpoint. The moment when the Shekinah glory, when God himself falls on us just as he did at Pentecost, just as he's done for believers all over the world who are finally all in. In a minute, Natalie's gonna come up and we're gonna, if you're able, I want you to stand up and join us as we sing and ask the Holy Spirit to come. Then the altar's gonna be open. I think there are ships all over this room that God wants to burn. Things we've trusted in instead of the Holy Spirit. Things we've used to box the Holy Spirit in. Limits we've placed on him because of our comfort zone. Risks we're not really willing to stretch our faith to. Things that we've just decided the Holy Spirit can't possibly do. Things we've prayed for so long that we've given up on God being willing to do it. Things or ideas that we have to walk away from forever so we can walk in the Spirit forever. But as long as you're willing to go back, back to your spiritual life that was comfortable, you can't walk forward in Him. It's time to tell God that you're all in. Time to set yourself apart, consecrate yourself, or tomorrow the Lord's going to do wonders. Time to set yourself apart for him. Then Joshua said to the people and to us, consecrate yourself for tomorrow the Lord will do wonders among you. Let's pray. God, give us the courage to let go. Give us the courage to step into the future trusting you, not knowing anything about where you're taking us. God, we're so tired of being in the wilderness. So tired of knowing there's a promised relationship with you that we're just not encountering. So scared to take the step. God, would you give us the courage to move forward, to walk in faith, to trust you. We ask it in Jesus' name. Open your hearts around the room. Holy Spirit, you are welcome to the hearts of these people. Have your way in Jesus' name. Amen.